How good and pleasant is it when God's people live together in unity? That is true. (laughs) To not be unified is a bad thing. It's unpleasant. I was at some meetings uh, recently this past week, and I was with uh, some pastors of some of the larger churches in our movement from around the area, and it's always good to get to be with other pastors and to talk uh, ask about how they were doing, and it was just really interesting to, to hear. Uh, both of them pastor wonderful churches with a lot of wonderful people, but you can, as I'm talking to them, you can feel the pressure on them, and they just tell you how difficult it is to lead a lot of people and a big group of people and so forth. It's hard to keep people kind of together and going in the same direction, and I think probably culturally it's as hard now as it's ever been because we are more individualized as as probably ever. Uh, And so I can just hear the kind of stress that they're under and the struggles that they have. And it's not just pastors of larger churches, but all pastors feel it. All leaders feel how difficult it is to keep people together and keep people moving in a particular direction, to, to keep people unified and to keep people dwelling together in unity. It's a really difficult thing. As researching this message that we want to talk about unity this morning, I got on Tom Rainer's website, and he's the Billy Graham uh, chair of evangelism and so forth out of Wheaton, and he had a list of 25 reasons that people in the church fight, uh, kind of humorous reasons that people in the church fight or split, and I'm just going to give you 10 of them uh, here. He, he said, there was an argument in a church over the appropriate length of the worship pastor's beard. A fight over whether or not to build a children's playground with their extra property or to put a seminary, or not seminary, almost sometimes it can be the same thing, a cemetery in. (laughs) I enjoyed seminary, so I can't say that. Of sending an anonymous letter and then they settled it in the parking lot afterwards because they were so angry at each other. I can just imagine walking out of church and witnessing a fight in the parking lot, right? I don't know if our offering would go up or down after that. Some people pay a lot of money. To watch that sort of thing. A church dispute of whether or not to install restroom stall dividers into the women's restroom. I've shared that with you before. It's always a good thing to put dividers in the women's restroom. I don't even know. I don't even understand how that was an argument. A, a church argued uh, and uh, a, church, a church had an argument and voted to decide if a clock should be in the worship uh, center or in the sanctuary or not. A fight over which picture of Jesus to put in the foyer. Here's the question, right? Who took those pictures? A big church argument over the discovery that the church budget was off by 10 cents. He said, somebody finally gave a dime to to settle the issue. (laughs) Two different churches have reported fights over the type of coffee to serve. Either Folgers, kind of a lighter, or Starbucks there. The, some members actually left the church over that. That's what was reported. An argument on whether the church should allow deviled eggs at the church meal. And then some church members left the church because one member hid the vacuum cleaner from them. I've read this one to you before, too. I just love that. <laughs> and it resulted in a major fight and split as well. I, like, who? I could just imagine, like, let me hide the vacuum cleaner from this person and see what they do. 
seems kind of fun, but if you've been a part of a church for any period of time, or you can probably think of reasons that either churches have split or why people have gotten in arguments and so forth. Every church has kind of petty arguments. They have disagreements. They have reasons to fight, to, to divide, you know, all of those sorts of things. Uh, that, that happens in a church because it happens with every type of group of people. Whenever you gather together, whenever you come together on a regular basis, you are going to find reasons to divide and to split and not to seek unity. And so this is why our leaders have come together and we're in the series called, who, it's called Our Core Values. We're talking about our core values, who we are and who we want to be. And we have stated that we will pursue unity. We will pursue unity. Because if you don't, right, you probably won't achieve it here. And this is how we have articulated. And some of these will kind of change as we, as we uh, uh, continue to grow as a church and leadership and so forth. But I think we did a pretty good job with this. It says, we value pursuing Christ together. We will strive to be a unified community, believing that we are the family of God. As family, we confess to and affirm the central and distinguishing doctrines of the Christian faith. And we will not allow secondary and tertiary doctrines to cause division. So we will seek unity, and we will seek it together, as the Bible says. So how do we go about doing that? Well, we have a text in the book of Ephesians. Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus here, and much of the letter itself is about unity, but I want to focus in on one section here. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians 4, and we're going to go through verses 1 through 6. We're going to take a deep dive into verses 1 through 6 in Ephesians 4. It'll be on the screen. It's in your notes as well, in your worship folder here. So here we are, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. This morning I want to talk to you about three, the three aspects that we see here. There may be a fourth, but there are at least three that are very clear aspects of the Christian faith concerning unity. I'm going to talk to you about the source of unity, or maybe we could call this the color of unity, the one who calls us to unity, the purpose behind the unity, and the expression of the unity. So we're going to talk about the source of the caller, the purpose, the calling, or the expression here behind it. And so... Let's begin with the source of our unity. In verse 1, we are told here, I'm going to review verses 1, through three, 1, 3, and 4 here. It says, Therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. I want you to notice here that uh, Paul here, he tells this church, let's see, one, two, three different times, four different times, excuse me, that they have been called here to follow God together, that they have a calling on their life. And so the source of your unity and the source of you being together, it's God's Spirit. There's a Spirit that brings about this unity, and it's not a general Spirit, but it's rather the Spirit, and it's the Spirit of God. And so when we are talking about being a unified community and coming together as a unified community, we don't decide to do that, right? It, it is God's call on our life. What Paul is saying here is that God has called you to his church. God has called you 
to be together. It was God's will that you be with each other and be together. Ephesians 1, 3 through 5 says this. I didn't give this in your notes, but as I, I got to this later on in the week, and it says, Blessed be, to God, the fa- the, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ, even as he chose us in him before the foundation in the world of the world. In love, he, pre- he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. So what Paul does is he starts out the very beginning of this letter here, is he basically tells you that it is God's will for you to be a part of his family, and he is the one who calls you to be a part of his family. This is why Jesus, by the way, he can tell Nicodemus at night when Nicodemus comes to Jesus, and he says, how do I get to God? And what does Jesus tell Nicodemus? Does anybody remember? You must be born again, right? That's now, it's really interesting here because he says, how? And Jesus says, well, you have to be born of the Spirit. And you have to be born of, of, of water. And, and Nicodemus does not understand this. But what we can understand is that the Spirit of God causes you to be born, causes you to be a Christian, and then calls you to be a, a part of the church. And so what is happening there is, is that God is calling you and God is at work bringing you not just to, to salvation, but into the church. This is why Paul can say in verse 4 that we are called to be in one body. He's referring to the church, and he's calling you to be a part of the family here. Now, this is, this is really important. This is really important. It's really important to know that you are a part of the family of God, not because you primarily chose this, but because God chose it for you, and you answered that call. Uh, so what are the implications then? Right? You, you, don't, you don't choose to be unified here. Right? It's not, it's, 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 if it's not your choice, right? if it wasn't your choice primarily, and it's the Spirit of God leading you to salvation and then bringing you to the church, you shouldn't, you shouldn't find reasons to divide. You shouldn't find reasons to say, you know what, I'm just not going to get along with that person because we just disagree over some of these small things over here. Or I don't like the per- way that person looked at me. Or I don't like the way that person talked to me at this time. So, right, I- I'm just not going to be a part of that. If-, if you believe that it was actually God at work and his spirit calling you not just to salvation, but to a part of his body, to a part of his church, to a part of a- even a particular congregation, you will do everything, it- you-, 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 you will do what you can, right, within your power to not seek division, but to, to be unified because it's God at work here in that. Uh, let me give you kind of another example here. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, we're told, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all, to ma- we were all made to drink of one spirit. And so here he's saying the spirit is always at work when we come together. It's always at work when we come together. The church doesn't come together uh, because we want to build just a kind of a neat community around uh, what are would be external factors to the gospel. There are a whole bunch of reasons to come together. There are, and, and people use them all the time, right? Here he gives a couple. He says there's neither Jews nor Greeks. People gather, right, over your ethnicity. Uh, my neighbor is a part of the German club. There's nothing wrong with being a part of the German club. But that's not why the church comes together. The church doesn't come together uh, because you're from a particular country or you look a particular way. The church comes together not because you have a particular job or because you went to a certain school or because you like maybe even the style of worship sometimes 
or whether or not you sit in chairs or pews. None of that matters. What God says brings the church together here. This is actually his spirit. God brings you together. So this being the case, we don't create unity. We just preserve it by being dependent on God's spirit. When God brought us together, the expectation when his spirit is at work is just that we will have it. And what we will do as we rely on the spirit is that it'll just be preserved in this place through the spirit of God working. And so anytime division starts to creep in or anytime you're, you start to hear that voice that says, you know what, <laughs> don't go to church or don't like that person, or don't be around that person, or, or, you, or, or you're feeling your heart, right, starting to kind of creep away from, from people who have been doing life with you and have been encouraging you. Anytime that starts happening, right, start to pray. Go to the Spirit, because the Spirit is the one who put you there and put you with those people in the first place. The Spirit is the one who called you in the first place. So, speak, so seek the Spirit here. So that's the source, the source of our unity is God, the one who calls us. The purpose of our unity, or the calling of our unity, is, is important as well. Our unity has a purpose. Tony Evans, and uh, his message on unity, he defines unity as this. He defines it as oneness of purpose. Oneness of purpose. Uh, unity, for it to take place, it actually requires a purpose or an aim. You're not unified just over whatever. And so what he does... Tony Evans here, he goes on to explain that when you bring God into the equation for oneness of purpose, unity then is oneness of purpose under God here. And this is why we're told by Paul, I think Tony Evans does a good job with this, I think this is why we're told by Paul and he can say, walk worthy of your calling. You should walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Here's, here's why, because we all have a calling. We all have a calling and we all have a purpose. We have a calling and we have a purpose together. Jesus reveals this purpose and this calling while he is praying for unity in John 17. I'm going to read it to you. John 17, 20 through 21, Jesus is praying here and he's praying that the church will be unified. He's praying that his followers will be unified. And here's what he says. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they, may be, they all may be one, just as you, Father, and I just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So that the world may believe is our purpose. That's the purpose of the church. That's the thing that unifies us. Every organization, every, every group of people has some purpose that is going to unify them, that's going to bring them together. Jesus here, he is praying for his people to be unified, and he says, this is the reason that I've brought you together, so that people might believe. Jesus wants everybody to believe in him or to grow in their belief in him here. And so as a church, this is our purpose. We state it, we st we state it right, th right here. I mean, we can state it a number of different ways, right? We want everybody to know God, experience freedom, live with purpose, and be set in uh, motion to carry out the Great Commission and the Great Commandments. But, but behind all of that, right, if we were just to simplify that down, what we would say is we want everyone to believe. We want everyone to grow in belief. And so this is the purpose of our church. And so what we are as a church, or what we're not as a church, I guess I should say, maybe to explain this, is we're not a social club. We do a lot of really social things 
the, the bonfire is a wonderful thing, and we need, we need to be social together. We need to build community because it's hard to be a family if you're never with your family, right? While at the same time, that's not primarily what we are. We're, we're not a group of people that teaches morality. We don't just teach right and wrong. We're, we're not about that. Now, we're going to teach what is right and what is wrong and what's God's way and what's not God's way, but that's not the primary thing that we do. We're not a charitable organization. We do a lot of charity. We give a lot of what comes in. We give it away to help people. Uh, we feed a lot of hungry people throughout the year. Uh, we, we clothe people throughout the year. We do a lot of charitable works. But our primary purpose is to invite people to believe in Jesus Christ. Our primary purpose is to invite people into the family of God through belief and Jesus, that is our primary purpose, is to point people through Jesus, to Jesus. And so, when we do community together, when we, we have a bonfire, the primary purpose of our bonfire is so the people of God can enjoy one another and be family, but also so that we can invite others to be a part of it so that we can share Jesus with them. Our growth groups are wonderful, and they're great, but our growth groups don't exist so that you can have friends, right? You need friends, you need people to be with, but our growth groups exist so that you can be with people that will point you to Jesus. We don't have our food pantry that feeds over 5,000 families a year. Well, we don't give away all of that food just because people are hungry. We give that food away in the name of Jesus because people need Jesus. Our prison ministries don't visit pr prisons just because prisoners are lonely but to share Jesus with them. We don't, we, we don't teach people what is right and what is wrong just because we are making up a set of, of moral values or virtues or so forth. The, the virtue and the value is totally dependent on Christ and who he is and where we are going in Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. That is our unifying purpose. It's so that people will believe in Jesus or people will deepen their belief in Jesus. And so whether we're meeting or serving or we're teaching, right? We're doing it all in the name of Jesus. And when Paul says to walk worthy of your calling, right, the, the calling itself to do all of those things, to meet together, to, to serve, to do all of that, that, that is not the purpose. All that, is, all that is doing is when we're doing all of those sorts of things, it's just showing that we're walking worthy. But the purpose itself is to make sure that the world believes and that we grow in our beliefs. So that is the purpose behind our unity and behind our calling there. So we've had the source of our unity is the spirit. The purpose of our unity is so that the world may believe and that there's the expression of our unity. In other words, the character of our unity. What does that look like? Well, to maintain character, we have to have the character of Christ as the church. We have to have the character of Christ. And there are three areas or expressions of unity that show that we can have the character of Christ. There's the attitude that comes with unity here. In verse 3 in chapter 4 here, Paul tells the church, he says, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So you have to be eager. You have to be eager to maintain unity. If you don't care about unity, you're never going to keep it. If you don't care about the person beside you, if you don't care about the body of Christ, if, if you don't care about anybody else, right, if you don't, if you don't care about it, you're, you're not going to maintain it. And it'll be really easy, right, for us to find really petty reasons to divide or to fight that deacon out in the park, that person, we didn't even have deacons, the elder out in the parking lot, 
or whatever it might be, right? You, you, will, you will find those reasons if you're not eager to maintain it, to preserve it. But if you think it's God's family, like if you really believe that, you will do all that's in your power to maintain it because it will be precious to you. Paul in Ephesians 5, he goes into this, and he's talking about marriage here, but uh, Ephesians is, it's a, it's a really, it's just an awesome book because you could just preach from all of it and just keep pulling from all of it. But he's talking, he, he's, he's talking to spouses here. And what he tells husbands, the, the way he tells husbands to treat their wives is really incredible. He looks at the husband, and he says, Husband, do you know how you have to love your wife? And he says, As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now that is really interesting there. What, what Paul says is that Jesus loved the church so much that he died for the church. The church. Now, I believe that Jesus died for you as an individual person. Like, he paid for your sins. He did that. That is true. But what is also true is that Jesus died for the church. He died, collective, he died for the collective as well. He didn't just die for the individual. He died for the group as well. And he brings us together. Remember who calls us? He's the source. And he brings us together. And what he tells husbands to do for their wives is to lay their lives down. Like give it, give it all up, right, for your wife. Serve her in the way that Christ loved the church. Well, Christ laid his, gave his life for the church. We should be that eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Like we, would, we would give it up for the church. Recently, I've been a member of the church for, I think I might have said this already a couple weeks ago. I can't ever remember what I said and what I didn't. So, um, I don't know how you guys do. I'm sure you don't. That's why I always preach every week. It's every week for that reason. But she, she had slipped a couple weeks ago. Not, she didn't slip a couple weeks ago. She passed away a couple weeks ago. She slipped a long time ago in the kitchen, and she fell, and she broke her hip. And somebody came to Elizabeth, and they said, you know what? You should sue the church. And she said, I will not sue my church, Right? You can imagine somebody who has grown up in the church, has supported the life of the church, an accident like that happens, and then they come after the church for that reason. She, she was a person who was eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Right? We, we should love the church like Christ loves the church. We must give ourselves up for it right? with the same passion right? if you're married. And you've you've had rough spots in your marriage, and you've struggled in your marriage. And if you've been married for more than a year, right? <laughs> you've had those, and there are times where you've you've like you've had to fight for it. You've had to be eager to maintain it when it wasn't when it wasn't easy. That's that that's the kind of eagerness that we need to have to be unified, and that's the kind of character that we that's the attitude that we need to have here. So there's the attitude and there's the beliefs as far as the expression of unity is concerned. In verse 4, we're told that there is one body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith. So to be unified, unity does not come at the expense of belief. Uh, no matter what people tell you, right, everybody that is unified about, uh, under something believes something. Like there's something that is motivating their unity. There is something that they believe. 
Now, uh, there may be organizations, you can believe whatever you want and be a part of. Nobody does that. I promise you. And if you don't believe me, have a conversation with me after this. Right? And I'll show you why that's not true. So what is going on here is Paul is saying that there's one body, one spirit, and one Lord. In other words, there is a series of beliefs that we have to have to be unified. Now, we as a church want to be careful right, not to make those too broad um, or have too many, but we are trying to boil, we try to boil them down and to what we believe to be truly a part of this community and this church and the church at large, not just this congregation, but the church at large, we, we want to make sure that we are focusing on basically the historical, biblical uh, doctrines that say, yes, these things declare that you are a true follower of Christ and that you are a Christian. And so if you've taken our Next Steps classes with me, um, what you have discovered is that I don't want to divide over things that aren't important, but I want to come together on things that are important, and I also want to make sure that we believe the, the right things in our church here. And so I've said things like this, in essentials, this is in your notes, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, and all things, charity. Now, I've been asked what this means <laughs> by some of our leadership, right? Um, what are the essentials? Well, the essentials which is important here. I, I, I put this on the screen. I'm going to read this. I just want to show you why we have to have essentials. You, you have to have something here. And in Ephesians 4, uh, 11 through 14, we're told this. He gave the apostles, the prophets, and the evangelists, and shepherds, and teachers. In other words, he gave all the leaders here in the church, Paul's saying, to do this, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain the unity of the, I, I want you to see it's here, it's the faith, and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. And so there are certain beliefs that you have, and then as you grow, you're going to grow into maturity here, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves carried out about every wind and doctrine. And so in other words, there are doctrines that are wrong and that are false by human cunning and by craftiness and deceitful schemes. And so there are things here that Paul actually tells the people of God, he says, be careful not to believe everything and anything. There are certain beliefs that you should have and that you should follow and that you should believe and that you should put your stake in the ground and say, this is true. Right? And we will not be swayed by anything or anyone who doesn't believe this. These things unify us. These things are, are the thing that makes us the church. Here are some of those. Right? Maybe if you poked me a little harder, I would say there are a few more. But here are some of them because I've been asked. All right. The triune nature of God is one of those. So when the Jehovah's knock on your door and tell you God is not tri or, Christ, or the deity of Christ, right? those, those are very important to us. The bodily re resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus actually rose from the grave. People who tell you otherwise, right, there's, there's, the Bible is clear about that. He rose from the grave. The atoning work of Christ on the cross. That's there. Salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. These things, and like I said, I'm sure if you poke me, maybe a few more, are distinctive. Right? Are the distinctive things that make us all Christian. Now, there are non-essentials. 
and the non-essentials, we say we have liberty. These things are, most of the non-essentials are very important to Christianity. They're important for your faithfulness. They are important things for you to believe. They are important things uh, for you to know about. But you can belong to this church, and I think you can belong to the church at large, the Christian church at large, with some disagreement over the non-essentials or what we would call non-critical things to being a Christian. So we say in this church you have liberty in some of these areas. That doesn't mean I don't have pretty strong beliefs about some of them or that I won't teach you to believe a certain way. However, you are welcome in our congregation. And we, were, we will seek unity even with disagreements on some of these issues like this, like the exact timing and nature, and nature of Jesus' return. I did a message, kind of a message on that a while back, and I laid out, here's this, this is what I believe, this is why I believe, and this is what I think you should believe. Uh, I, I, I said that. We actually, you know, we had somebody exit the church because I, I was wrong, right? Um, that's okay, but you can disagree with me over that, although I think I'm right. <laughs> Otherwise, I wouldn't tell. The extent, of the, uh, the extent and use of certain spiritual gifts, right? We believe in the spiritual gifts here. We believe in expressing them in particular ways. You can have disagreements over some of the ways that they are expressed and so forth, but you're still welcome. The relationship between election and free will and so forth. It's, it's, we just read some passages that talks about the difficulty of understanding how, how is it that God is the one who calls you to salvation and to be part of his church, and yet you still choose it. How, how does that work? There, there is some mystery in that. Right? I have thoughts about that, right? but it's there. Right? So there's, there's more than that. But those, are, those are some of them, and you can have positions on those, and your positions can even disagree with, with me on those. You can disagree with your brothers and sisters in Christ. But, what we don't want to take place is we don't want to allow those sorts of things to divide us or to divide the church at large. Right now, even as we talk about the church at large, we need to be unified over the very important things that bring us together, and that is following Christ. And that is us being aware of what His Spirit is doing, not just in our church, but in the church in large, at large. Well, what about charity in all things? Charity in all things. In other words, we're committed not to be jerks, right? Uh, we're, we're committed uh, to being kind. We're committing to loving people that disagree with us. We're committing to loving people who don't agree with us on even the essentials, right? Not just the non-essentials, but the essentials. Yes, we believe that the essentials are actually the things that are going to unify you because if you don't believe the essentials, you don't care about it whether other people believe in Jesus Christ or not. I just, if that's the purpose of the church, that's true. If you don't believe in the essentials, right, you, you don't, you, you're not under the purpose. But that's okay. If that is you, right, and you are coming on Sunday morning or you're going to growth groups, you, you are welcome there, and you will, or you better be treated with love. You better be, retreat, you better be re, we, want to retreat, we want to treat you with respect. If you hear me say something that you disagree with or you have questions about, come to me. I'll answer your questions. I, I, I won't act like you're stupid. I, I won't get upset. I won't get, I, I'll do my best never to get defensive. I, I'll treat you with love. I'll treat you with charity. 
And I hope that everybody else in our church believes that and will do the same. That's, that's what we need right now. We need people who are willing to invite people in to ask questions and to treat them kindly and with love and to, to be there for them even if right, they don't believe. And so we had the attitude here, we had the beliefs, and then finally the practices. Verse 2, we're told in chapter 4, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. That's what Paul tells the church, is basically the practice needs to be in in a humble way, it needs to be in a gentle way, it needs to be in a patient way, and he kind of uh, uh, summarizes it up with that you have to bear with one another in love. And so unity has an expression, and its expression uh, is love. It needs to be experienced. Unity is not leaving a place in the Christian church. Uh, I, uh, when I first got here, uh, it had been maybe a month or so, it wasn't very long, uh, I got a phone call from Marple Riffle. Uh, Some of you remember Marple or knew Marple. Uh, Marple had, uh, uh, he, he passed away several years ago, but uh, he called me asking if he could come into my office and talk to me. Now, I didn't hardly know Marple at all. I, just, I hadn't been here for very long, and he had gotten well into his years. He was in his 90s, and uh, so uh, he wasn't as active as he had been in the past, and so he comes into my office, and I greet him, kind of meet him for the first time, Uh, for the most part, and he sits down and he begins to talk to me and he tells me that his daughter drove him here and she's waiting in the parking lot and so uh, he just kind of wanted to get straight to the chase. And he said, "Uh, Pastor, it's of my opinion that you should uh, be wearing a suit and tie on Sunday morning. (laughs) And uh, I said, well, I, I appreciate that. Um, why do you think that should be the case? And he said, well, doctors have uniforms. Nurses have uniforms. Other professions have uniforms. I believe the uniform of the pastor is a suit and a tie. Okay, I, I understand that, Marple. I, I won't go in to the entirety of the conversation or even try to defend myself. Right? Uh, we eventually got to the point, and he said, I got to thinking, well, he's young. He's first-time pastor. Maybe you can't afford one. So, would you like me to buy you a suit? <laughs> and I said, no, Marple. I do have a suit. I just don't wear it typically on Sunday mornings. And we continued for a while. And then he said something else. He said, Pastor, I don't have very many years left on earth. Will you answer a question for me? I said, yeah, Marple. He said, well, you're my pastor. And uh, since you're my pastor, you'll probably be officiating my funeral. He goes, will you wear a suit at my funeral? (laughs) 
at, at that point, like, my, my heart sank. <laughs> I really did, because I really, like, that's why he came in. Like, that's, that's, that's the reason behind this conversation, is nobody in the church had ever seen me wear a suit. And I, when I started out, like, this wasn't even something I wore. I mean, I had, like, jeans and t-shirt half time. Like, but um, I, I thought, like, oh, wow. And I explained, if you're getting wet or dead, I'll, I'll wear a suit. Right, whatever you want me to wear. I, I wear suits at funerals. Uh, and so he left, and as he walked out the door, I walked out of my office, and I said, Brenda, who was that? Like, who is it? I, I, I really didn't know him hardly at all at that point. And she said, oh, that's, that's Marple Riffle. And I said, so tell me about him. And she said, well, he's, he's, like a, he's a leader. I mean, everybody knows Marple. Everybody loves Marple. And Marple's done everything in this church. And so I'm like, oh, no. Um, I mean, I really thought that. I'm, I'm thinking Marple was going to leave here, and I just hope I was respectful right, to him. I, and I, I think it was, but I'm just hoping I was. And he's going to go tell everybody either, like, hey, the, the pastor's a great guy or he's a jerk. Um, or we should follow this guy, or we shouldn't follow this guy. So I had, I had no idea what Marple was going to do when he left. Right? And all I knew is that he had some influence. And so I was, I was worried. I already was up every night trying to figure out, like, how, do I even know what I'm doing? Right? And then Wednesday night comes. So I think it was like two nights later after this, maybe. It may have only been one. And we're te- I'm teaching a Wednesday night class, and and we walk out into the lobby, and Marple is in his jeans and a, and a flannel. And he comes up to me, and he shakes my hand before I, we leave. And he pulls me close to me, him, and he looks me right in the eyes. And he says, I love you, Pastor. I open this message talking about all the silly reasons to divide. Uh, Marple was a Christian. Marple was a leader. Marple knew what was important. And it was love. It was love. That's the expression of our unity. Turn to the person next to you and say, I love you. If that is awkward... You have some work to do. (laughs) Will you pray with me? Father, this morning we give you thanks because we believe that your spirit has been at work. We believe that your spirit has been at work because you're the one who called us together in the first place. Our unity is not something that we create. Father, it's only something that we preserve through the power of the spirit. And so right now we pray that as we come to you, we come to you under that power, guided by your spirit. We pray, Father, that your spirit guides us according to your purpose. We do pray that people come to believe, maybe this morning, that people might believe that your son Jesus is Savior. If you brought them here, Father, they can do that right now at this, at this moment, that they can believe that you are the Christ and that your son died for them and rose again so that they could have life and have a relationship with the God, with their creator, our God. Father, we pray that we express our unity the way that it should be expressed, and that is in love. So I pray, Father, that if any of our hearts are not open to 
loving you and loving each other, that you would open our hearts in that way. We pray that you help us to be a unified church of God, believing what you would have us to believe so that we might do what you'd have us to do. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.